Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. The Premier League is back and the opening weekend promises to be worth the wait. It's a war of the roses at Old Trafford to kick off Saturday's action as Manchester United welcome Leeds United in what's always an intense affair. Champions Manchester City travel to Tottenham with all the talk centred around Harry Kane. Will the Spurs striker play on Sunday and will he even be a Spurs striker anymore come the end of the month? Can Liverpool or Chelsea dethrone City this season? The Blues have welcomed Lukaku back to the bridge for £97 million, whilst the Reds have a reinvigorated Virgil van Dijk back in the frame. Rafa the Gaffer is also back in the top flight, this time controversially at Everton. And there are new faces in the dugout at Crystal Palace and Wolves as well as the 2021-22 Premier League journey begins. Sit back and enjoy our first preview podcast of the season here on Football Social Daily, the only show with a new episode seven days a week right throughout the top flight season. I'm Niall and it's great to welcome back to the podcast broadcaster Michelle Owen and journalist Pete Hall. Good to have you with us again. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, all good, thank you. Yeah, all good, thanks now. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Great stuff. We may be a little bit older and a little bit wiser, but the excitement is still the same when a new season begins. It's nice that this campaign will actually, fingers crossed, follow a bit more of a traditional pathway than the last two that we've had. And I suppose that's the best place to start, Michelle, the fact that this feels like a normal season again, or at least as close to normality as we could get after the last two campaigns, which is always a nice feeling when you begin a new campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I think we had a taste of it in the Euros and a taste of it over the last week with the EFL and um, the Carabao Cup midweek as well. So it feels like we are just edging back to normality, having fans in stadium. We can't overstate what a massive impact that's going to have. No more of those lulls and games for ages. I mean, yeah, there's still be lulls and games, but this is where your team is 1-0 down at home and the home crowd could maybe see them get a last-minute equaliser or a last-minute winner. Fans are going to have such a, such a massive impact. And in today's football where we see crazy amounts of money floated around for players, I think we've just remembered how important the fans are over the last 18 months. 
Completely agree. And Brentford against Arsenal was the curtain raiser on Friday night. But on this show, we like to look forward to the Saturday and Sunday games. And getting us started on Saturday is Manchester United versus Leeds at Old Trafford. 12.30 kickoff. It's a great fixture. One which returned some interesting results last season, to say the least. It was 6-2 to Manchester United in December. And it finished 0-0 at Ellen Road in April. The fixture's never quite the same without fans. And the game Saturday will be the first time these teams will face off in front of supporters for nigh on a decade. So I guess, Pete, my question would be, could there be a more intense game for either side to begin the season? Fans back for the first time in a long time and it's Manchester United versus Leeds at Old Trafford. That's one to get even the neutrals juices flowing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a rivalry that transcends football between these two. It's it's two cities that have faced off for a long time, going back centuries, War of the Roses, Industrial Revolution. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 such an under underrated derby because it's been forgotten about because we haven't had it really for for so long. With Leeds being out the Premier League for so long, um, and I think other areas of the country might not necessarily understand how fierce a rivalry this is. Like. It's a different county, but Leeds' main rival are Manchester United. They, they, this is the game that they look forward to the most. Um, and it'll be an absolutely incredible... What a game to come back to for fans as well. Um, in a, you know, half 12 on the, on the first, first day of the season. It's a, it's a, that's a, it'll be such a great game. And like you said, alluded to before, if, it's, if, if half the excitement of the game at Old Trafford last, last season with no fans in, imagine what it's going to be like this time around. It would be, oh, it would be absolutely fantastic atmosphere. And, and two teams who are, good, who are good to go for it like they did last time, like, like Leeds, they were 5-1 down last time and seven men were going forward every, every, every time. Um, so it's not, it's, it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be a dull affair, that's for sure. And with fans behind it, well, it can't be, can it? With, with a, a, fans that have been chomping at the bit to get back to Old Trafford to see Games like this, it's a it, what a great start to the season it'll be. I remember the nil nil though in April, and everyone said the same oh, yeah. thing. After the six two, it's not going to finish goalless. What are you talking about? Leeds are playing yeah. in the game. There's bound to be goals. <laughs> Manchester United have got enough attacking talent, and it did finish nil nil. And you always have that caveat: the first day of the season, you do get some strange results. You never really know what it's going to throw up. But we're hoping for an exciting game at Old Trafford, nonetheless. In terms of team news, Michelle, Manchester United are going to be missing Marcus Rashford because he's recovering from a shoulder operation. Rafael Varane has got some visa issues. He has signed for Manchester United, but he hasn't quite uh, managed to go through all the protocols required to feature at the weekend. Edinson Cavani is unlikely to play. How long do you think Manchester United can afford to have those players out for if they are going to target a title challenge this season? Yeah, and they've got a few others out as well, haven't they? So um, that's why they have huge squads. These these mass- I mean, cliched, but this is why the top six clubs have all of these huge players. They've still got the likes of Fernandez and Pogba available. Luke Shaw had a great summer. Harry Maguire will be there. So I don't think they need to panic too much. And all those ones you've said, I don't know all the, the time constraints on them returning to action, but I don't think it's panic stations at all. Um, but you look at their possible start in 11, you know, um, you've got Fernandez in there, like I just said, you know, Greenwood. Everyone seems to forget about him, Martial. It's still a great team. So it's it's not ideal with your first sort of game of the season. But I've read that Nemanja Matic has impressed you in pre-season as well. He mm. might play alongside Fred in midfield. And, and just knowing for Manchester United fans that if they get a result and they can improve then, um, it's exciting. And let's not forget Jadon Sancho. 
is is going to be there, albeit we think he might start from the bench. So, yeah, they've got a few players out at the moment, but I really don't think they need to be panicking because they'll come back in time. And as a starting 11 goes, it's not bad. I mean, it can only get better, can't it, if you've got those players out at the moment and everyone gets through it um, unscathed. So if I was Manchester United fans, I'd just be really looking forward to seeing Jadon Sancho, it, albeit coming off the bench probably. Do you second that, Pete? Because when I was preparing for today's podcast, I actually had Sancho in that list of players that won't be involved. And then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out with his press conference and said that Jadon Sancho will be involved because he's trained really well, despite the fact he's not been with the group as long due to the Euros and being on holiday and all the rest of it. How much of an exciting proposition is Jadon Sancho? And is he the sort of player you think that will light up Old Trafford with the fans having been away for so long to come back and see that new talent that's surely an exciting thing for them it, it was a signing that United have coveted as we know for a long long time and he's the, he's the player that the United Solskjaer and, and the transfer hierarchy at United see for as a long term uh, as a, a long term option for them uh, that can take them to the next level that can finally get them challenging again for uh, for a league title and it's such an exciting strike force with 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 him in it. Mason Greenwood is uh, is for me it's a bit of a bold statement, but is is the most exciting young player to ever come through Manchester United's academy. And I know it's an illustrious list, but he's he's the boy's got absolutely everything. Um, and he's, he's as good with his with his left foot as he is with his right. Um, he just needs that. He just needs that experience and playing alongside Edison Cavani, he'll get that. And if, and he can't help but learn from for such an experienced striker. Um, Throw Jaden Sancho in in there. You, you, there's going to be some big big players missing out. Like if when everyone's fit, you know, Marcus Rashford might not get a game, which shows the strength and depth that United have got up front. Um, but Sancho, you you looked at the team and you thought United don't necessarily need to strengthen in forward areas, but. This is a player they've wanted for so long and they've got him. I think the, the key thing is they got him at a price that they feel is, is, is acceptable. Dortmund came down a hell of a lot on the, revalu- on the valuation of him from last year. And that's a big victory for United in the transfer market. As we know, in the last five or six years, United have paid over the odds for players that haven't necessarily worked out. So it's a, it's a nice change of strategy. They've gone for the man. They've been patient. Uh, they've waited that extra year, got him for the right price, and and United fans can be, rightly be very excited because um, he's a an unbelievable footballer, versatile, can play on either side, um, and he just brings that excitement that Manchester United fans want to see every week. Well, Jadon Sancho will be involved, says Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and I think Michelle's already alluded to it. We don't think he'll start. It'll probably be from the bench against Leeds United. And Pete, you mentioned there that you know Manchester United's aim will be to challenge this season as we approach nearly a decade since they last won the Premier League. But what about Leeds United, Michelle? Because they last season surprised plenty, or maybe they didn't if you're thinking about the people that watched them in the championship and were confident that they could do well in the top flight, what do you think their targets will be this time around though? They finished in the top 10 last season. Would their aim, do you think, be to close the gap to the top seven? Because they finished three points off of Europe last season. And I'm sure if you think about Leeds on the whole as a club, in terms of their history and their stature, European competition would sound quite nice alongside Leeds United. Yeah, for, any, for anyone my age, you remember Leeds in Europe in, in was it the 90s, North, early noughties? You know, we remember when Rio Ferdinand was there and um, remember Mark Viduca and Alan Smith and, and those European nights that Leeds used to have. They were amazing for the club. I think in terms of progression, one of the big things for Leeds United is that Bielsa's committed his future. Um, I've seen a few predictions 
um, where they're going to be. And I, I think predictions at this stage of the season are just, they're so difficult to make um, because, you know, there's nothing to go off, is there? It's so basic at the moment. What you can go off is, is who they've signed and, and what you think of them, but you don't know what they're going to do, how they're going to deliver. The Premier League is such a different beast to all the other leagues in the world. But the exciting thing for Leeds is they stepped up last season and maybe they did surprise a few people, but they didn't. I don't think they surprised those of us that are watching the championship and, and the football they played. And, you know, they're getting players to commit. Their their keeper, Melier, he's, he's just signed the new long-term contract. He's going to keep him there for the next, I think I saw it was the next five years. You know, Bielsa signed his one-year contract extension Calvin Phillips you know there was lots of talk about him in the summer that seems to have gone quiet they've got a really talented squad um and if I was if I was a, a Leeds player at the moment playing to Bielsa and knowing that he was staying that's super exciting I think Jack Harrison's a great player Patrick Bamford um I think Bamford I know the England squad the make of it actually ended up being pretty spot on in the end but I think Patrick Bamford again could deliver this season into double figures so yeah, they're definitely looking top 10 and maybe looking to flirt around those Europa League places. And remember, we've got those new places, haven't we, for that sort of new league being created. It's all quite complicated, but there could be potentially, couldn't there, an extra European place, as I understand it. So, yeah, I think Leeds, if you base it on last season, then they'll be looking looking to improve because they've got Bielsa's commitment to take them forward as well, which is huge for them because he... He has transformed them. Let's let's not forget that. And he deserves a mm. lot of credit. Yeah, I definitely think the bar has been raised for Leeds United this season. Their first game of the new campaign is away at Old Trafford. 12.30pm kickoff Saturday, Manchester United versus Leeds United. One of the other headline games of the weekend, if you could call it that, will be Tottenham against Manchester City. This one a 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. And it seems, Pete, that this game will be dominated by all the narrative off the pitch mainly surrounding Harry Kane and his future. Of course, he is a Tottenham player at the moment. He's only started training this week after missing training and pre-season COVID testing over the last couple of weeks. Manchester City are quite clearly interested. Harry Kane is quite clearly angling for a move away from the club. Where do you think this saga will end, if at all? Because, you know, we're now two weeks or so away from the end of the transfer window and it's just typical that the first game of the season is this one, Tottenham against Manchester City. I actually feel for Harry Kane a bit now because he's at an age now where this is his chance to leave. And if he doesn't leave, are clubs going to be willing to pay top, top money for a 29-year-old? Um, it, it's, it feels like it's now or never for Harry Kane if he wants to really kick on and, and go to somewhere where he can win the things that he his talent really deserves. Um, but Daniel Levy seems to be holding the power, doesn't he? And 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 that price tag is not is it prices pretty much everyone other than Manchester City out the market. Um, if um, if City do get Harry Kane, I think we may as well just write the season off now uh, because I, I don't think that there's been a better there will be a better Premier League team than that ever in terms of the balance. If you've got Kane through the middle and then you've got Grealish on one side, Foden on another with, with Sterling to come on, Riyad Mahrez to come on. I mean, there's, it's, it's, they, could, they, could, they could win. Their B team could finish second. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. I can't see it happening um, purely because 
Tottenham are so re- so so reliant on him, um, and they, Daniel Levy's going to stick to his guns. He's going to he's going to ask for 120, 130 million, and I don't I don't I just don't think City will pay it. Not after paying that for Grealish, um, which leaves Harry Kane in a bit of a pickle, really. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he comes out of this, how he how he how he conducts himself. Is he going to give? A hundred, hundred percent every week. Um, when he he doesn't really want to be there, it's it's pretty. Mm. I think it's pretty obvious now. Um, do Spurs want to keep a player against the will? Um, it's 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 a difficult one for for all parties really. Obviously, the Spurs don't want to sell. Um, and Harry Kane would stay. I mean, he he still loves the club uh, at Tottenham, but you look at that City team, and it's there's the, there's a spot sitting there for him with Sergio Aguero gone. There's a there's a place in that team sat there waiting for him, and it must be so agonising. It's so agonisingly close for him, um, but I just I just can't see it happening. I can't see City parting with that money that Daniel Levy wants. If if the if he's if Daniel Levy comes down on his evaluation and maybe accepts some players as part of a deal, which would you know we're talking about Gabriel Jesus's or Laporte, who would be an excellent addition to Spurs' team. Um, then I, th- I I think that the deal could happen, but as it stands, it looks very very difficult. Well, you say you can't see how the transfer gets solved. I can't see, Pete, how Harry Kane will play this game, Tottenham against Manchester City. It yeah. seems inevitable that he's not going to be involved. Yeah, I, I mean, would you, would you, if you're Nuno and it's your, it's your first game, first game of the season is, is a free hit in a way, like, you know, because um, it doesn't, especially against against the champions, Um do you throw in, him into the limelight when literally every, all eyes are going to be on him? Um, so much pressure. Well, how is he going to perform? Is he going to try and imp- impress Pep and try to impress his potential suitors? Is he, or is he just going to down tools? Um, I would take the attention away from him if I was if I was Spurs manager. I would take the t- attention away from him. Um, I would not involve him. Um, he's not had, you know, he's he's been isolated. And he's not had any preseason training essentially. Um, he's had what a day. Um, so he probably isn't ready anyway. But that's not, never stopped Spurs in the past, has it? I mean, when when Kane's been seventy percent fit, he's been in the Spurs team. Uh, such is the reliance on him. Uh, but I think this is a, a a perfect opportunity to to take him out of there, clear his head, and 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 try and work out a solution before uh, put putting him on a pitch. Because I don't think it I don't think it would end particularly well. He barely ever scores in August anyway, so I don't think no, it'll make no, much of a difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's stay on Manchester City then, and. They've got Jack Grealish now, Michelle. We've spoken about it on this podcast before and I know you're a, an Aston Villa supporter and it would have been difficult to see Jack Grealish swap Villa Park for the Etihad Stadium. Do you think he'll start against Tottenham and do you have any doubts that he'll be a success at Manchester City? I'll tell you what, as a Villa fan, there's never been a transfer that has hit like this one. Like we were, like Villa fans, genuinely, genuinely upset. Um Will he be a hit? Yeah, I think I think he'll do brilliantly. Um, I just wonder how he will feel about being rotated. I think he he must go there knowing he's going to be rotated. You think of their attacking options. You just mentioned some of them. Then you know the the people he's up against for a spot, and what happens if they're in form? Where's he going to play? Is he going to play out on the left, or is he going to play as like an eight or a ten? He said he could play as a false nine. Is he going to do that if they don't sign a striker? That would be unusual. Um, but he will, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to go on record to say that he'll do brilliantly there. He is the best player I've ever seen in an Aston Villa shirt. And I'm glad that everyone's sort of 
seen the light in the last couple of years on, on what a talent he was. He was the best player in the championship when Villa played in the championship. And, you know, he kept Aston Villa up on the last day of the season, the season previous. And he he does deserve to have world-class players around him. I think he could have maybe done something special at Aston Villa, but I understand why he's gone. This is a massive opportunity for him. I know it was an incredibly difficult decision for him as well. That's been well reported. But just imagine, okay, Jack Grealish, who draws the most fouls in the Premier League in a team, he wins the fouls, the set piece goes in and Harry Kane's on the end of it. I mean, it's frightening, isn't it? it it's absolutely frightening. And I agree with, with Pete. If if Manchester City are to sign Harry Kane, then they, they have to win the Premier League. You know, a lot of people are talking about Chelsea, but that's how key Harry Kane is going to be to this whole scenario. And and, and Jack Grealish has said over summer that Harry Kane's one of the best players he's ever trained with and ever seen playing. Imagine those two together. Brilliant for England as well, by the way. So, mm. And on that, Michelle, you say if Harry Kane does go there, they have to win the title. If that becomes the case, is anything less than success in the Premier League considered a failure such as the strength of City squad this season? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. And I know that's, that's a huge amount of pressure, but... They're going to be at the club that's spending the most money in, in the Premier League. I mean, I know you can talk about net spend and things like that, but when you're spending £100 million on Jack Grealish and potentially if they do spend that amount perhaps more on Harry Kane, then they have to deliver, don't they? Um, they've retained the core of last season's side too, which I think is is something that people are forgetting. They've still got um, one of the tightest defence the best goalkeeper, you know, I think Edison won the Golden Glove, didn't he? He got 19 clean sheets. And yes, Sergio Aguero's left, and that is the hole they have to fill. Arguably, they maybe they didn't need to sign Jack Grealish, you know, but but they have, and I think he's going to add so much to that side. And as a Villa fan, I know a lot of people are bitter, but just wish him, wish him all the best, and I know he, he's going to flourish there even, even more so. And he said with Pep, he feels like he's working with the best coach in the world. So... I, I want him to do well. I, I want him to do brilliantly. And, and I hope that in time he settles in really well. And for me, if if they sign Harry Kane, they're title favourites. In a word then, we focused on Manchester City. Let's quickly touch upon Tottenham. In a word, will they finish in the top four this season, Pete? Absolutely not. I'm sorry, that's two words. No. <laughs> just to, just to hammer home the point there uh, Tottenham against Manchester City Sunday 4.30 kickoff. Everton versus Southampton that's where we're going to focus next Saturday 3pm kickoff, and Rafa Benitez is back in town and by being in town I mean the city of Liverpool just the second ever manager to manage both Everton and Liverpool the first was William Edward Barkley in the 1800s when Liverpool Football Club was first formed so that just goes to show you how rare that is to make the jump from one side of Stanley Park to the other a new era begins at Goodison Park how much leeway do you think Rafa will get with the Everton fans, Pete, if things don't go the way that he will hope? Because obviously there's already this controversy and concern there from Evertonians. So do you think that basically gives him less margin for error if things do start going wrong? I don't, I don't think he's got much margin for error at all here. Um, well, for us, he's not starting off on a, on a positive footing, is he really? Because... Normally, a new manager comes in, there's excitement around the place. Um, but a lot of Everton fans from the start are already not keen on this. Uh, having having an, an ex-Liverpool manager, an ex-recent Liverpool manager, 
um, in the dugout. Um, so he's 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 already having to win over fans from day one, uh, which is not where you want to start in a new job, really. Um, but and it also it's it's been a pretty underwhelming transfer window for Everton as well. So I think fans are looking at that. I, I don't think there's much high expe- there's there's not there's not high expectations at Goodison. Let's say um, with fans returning. Um, ahead of this opening fixture because they're not they're not sure if they even like the manager. Obviously, they know that he's a fantastic manager and he's done a great job at, uh, in England at, at both clubs that he's been at. Um, but it, it's a difficult one. I mean, you can only you can only understand if if you are a, an, Everton, an Evertonian who lives in Liverpool. You can only understand what that feels like. It's uh, for other for fans of other clubs. I don't think that'll be. It's not an easy thing to sort of describe, really. Um, so. It's it, it's gonna be he's he's got so much work to do from the from from the get go to just to win over the fans. But before you start to worry about where you're gonna finish in the league, and you've got the James Rodriguez thing handed you know hanging over him as well. Where is he? Is he is he interested? Is he is he is he even in the country? Nobody even seems to know what's happening there. So it's it's a difficult job. Everton's always a difficult difficult job because of the expectation around the club, but. Given his background uh, and given the circumstances, it's 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 a real tall order. This it'd be a fascinating to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I think Rafa Benitez, his arrival at Goodison Park is one of the narratives of the season, and I'm really fascinated to see, as you say, how it will unfold. What do you think the priorities are for Everton? Because Carlo Ancelotti had the start of something in terms of a project, Michelle. But it never really came to fruition. I think poor home form was really the undoing of Everton, who were excellent on the road last season. And they didn't finish in the European places in the end, which many would have thought should have been their target. Do you think Europe will be an aim again this season? Or do you think it will be a first trophy since 1995, which will be the priority? There's no reason why they can't go for both. But certainly Everton feel like they need something to get that feel-good factor back again. Yeah, I think it's, that's a really difficult one to answer for if if you're Rafa Benitez. I mean, the board all set out with it, what his what he's going for, whether it's that Europa Conference League spot, seventh place. Um, but you've got to think of the other teams going for that. It's not that simple. You might have thought five, ten years ago there was probably one or two teams going for that spot, but the Premier League's so wide open now, I think, than it was a few years ago. The quality of players that come through and the surprise us each season, it's not that cut and dry whether you go go for Europe or you go for a cup. I mean, I always think the Carabao Cup is the best one to go for because at the start, you know, usually your draw isn't too bad. So that that's, for me, maybe their best shot of silverware. Um, I, just, I just think, yeah, Rafa Benitez is, I don't know if he's the sort of man that feels pressure or not. I mean, he's a person of abuse. There's been threats. How much is that going to affect him with the Anfield connection? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know about Everton's sort of, Squad depth and quality would be quite interesting to see. Um, Andros Townsend, they signed, who I really like Andros Townsend. Um, Tamari Gray as well. They just need some service. They need to improve the service to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And he had a great season last season and he started off so well, but it's just whether they can give him even better service, what he could deliver for them. Um, So I think he's going to be key to that. And Jordan Pickford was so, so good at the Euros whether he can replicate that form for Everton because mm-hmm. he, he dropped was... a, he dropped a couple of balls at yeah. the preseason game against Man United yeah. and they lost four <laughs> nil so it felt like the it's almost like Jekyll and Hyde with Pickford weird, in terms right? of that, what that's, shirt that's he wears. What I mean, it's it's bizarre and I've seen some people say, oh, it's because it's because the Everton fans get on his back. I don't know. I don't know if it's that. I don't think it is that. But 
yeah, I mean, look, look at Goodison Park and, and how close the fans are to the pitch. Let's yeah. just see if that makes a difference to them. Yeah, I love Goodison Park as well. And I'm excited to see fans back there. Of course, they've got a new stadium being built right now. So they haven't got too long left at their historic home, do Everton. Their opponents Saturday are Southampton, who have lost star striker Danny Ings, Pete. James Ward-Prowse is injured. Yannick Vestergaard is within hours, allegedly, of being on his way to Leicester City. In terms of what they've got and their ambitions this season, do you think they might be in a little bit of trouble? I think so, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Ralph Hasenhutl. I think he's an excellent manager, an excellent coach. Um, but he's, he, he's he's sort of had the rug pulled from underneath him, hasn't he, this season? Um, no, but I, I love the Danny Ings signing, by the way. Like, you, you don't get signings mm-hmm. like that anymore. No one, no, but there was no linking. There was no, there was no tracking any flights. There was no, no nothing. Leaked WhatsApp messages. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was... He didn't tell anyone. He didn't tell us all. That's why. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, and yeah. it's, it, I, I, well, it, it's, it, it was lovely. To, it was a lovely surprise, I must say. Um, and what is a villa fan, yeah? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great signing. It's a really, really good signing. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, out out of nowhere as well, and uh, House Newton must be, must be looking at his squad now and just thinking because Ings had a he had a great start to last season. Sort of he had injuries and faded toward the end of last season. Um, but Southampton struggled themselves towards the end of last season. Um, and if you they kept hold of James Ward-Prowse because the the uh, the predators that Aston Villa are in the transfer market this summer were after James Ward-Prowse as well. So they've done well to keep hold of him. Um, but without him. Um, you know his his delivery, um, his service, um, his control that he brings to the midfield. Uh, yeah, I think it, they need him back quickly because the squad's looking looking thin because they're, lo- they're losing players. Um, they've 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 got some left field signings in there, which will be interesting to see how they settle. And, and to be honest, they're going to have to settle quite quickly, um, given the players that they lost that they're, that they've lost, and and if Vestergaard goes as well. Um, Getting uh, Theo Walcott in on a permanent deal is a, is a, is a good bit of business, um, but otherwise you're looking at the you're looking at the signings and you're looking to young players, unproven players, um, to to hit the ground running because you don't you don't want to yes it, it doesn't matter t- too early in the in the opening weeks of the season but if you start to fall behind come October November times you start to struggle then then it's always going to be an uphill battle isn't it and and I I, I think Southampton could struggle this season I, I think I don't think they'll go down but I think. I don't think they'll they'll reach the heights that they have in in, in previous years. And Ralph, if we're going to see the credentials of of Ralph Hasenhutl as a coach, this is the season because he, what have, what he's having to work with, he's going to have to he's going to have to really come up with some uh, interesting uh, interesting systems to try and uh, eke out what he can from this squad. Talk about mixed bag. Southampton were top at one stage last season. They also lost 9-0 and now they're being tipped for a possible relegation scrap. (laughs) Certainly is a bit up and down there on the South Coast. They take on Everton Saturday 3pm. And talking of relegation, will Norwich City be able to survive this time around? After the last time they were in the Premier League, they went straight back down to the Championship. We'll talk about their clash with Liverpool and the five other games across Saturday and Sunday next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a new show seven days a week, every single day of the Premier League season. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one. As soon as a new episode is released, you'll be notified straight away. Time to talk Norwich City versus Liverpool now. That's a 5.30pm kickoff on Saturday. And we'll begin with Liverpool, where Virgil van Dijk has signed a new contract at the club. How big an impact will his return have to the Liverpool side, Michelle? Will it have the same sort of impact as we saw in reverse when he wasn't in the team? Do you think his reintroduction to the side, should he be fit enough to play in the opening weeks and months of the season, have a big impact on how Liverpool do? I think what some of us have forgotten is that Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, um, at the heart of that defence, they took 26 points from a possible 30 at the end of last season. So as much as Van Dijk was missed, no doubt, I think what they did was was outstanding. But that said, you know, he was a seismic loss, wasn't he? And, and you know, to think it happened to Joe Gomez having a season-ending injury at the same time, you know, their confidence was absolutely shot. At moments like that, not just for his ability and, and the way he can not only defend, but the way he can spray a pass, um, but also for his leadership and his calmness and, and what he brings now, not just his not just his football ability, but what he brings as a leader, and and they so missed that last season. So yeah, I think you know he 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 was out of the team at a time when they needed that as much as they needed his ability. Is I think what I'm trying to say in a more succinct way. Um, and having him back in the team is only going to be a good thing. But they have learned to survive without him. And and they did finish the season strongly. I think we all forget that because it, the middle part of the season was just so dreadful, wasn't it? So, yeah, Van Dyke signing a, a new deal and putting pen to paper is, is great for, for everyone involved. But what's bigger is his sort of presence, I would imagine, around Anfield for those young players. They say when a player comes back from injury that it's like making a new signing. And in terms of new signings, we haven't really seen too much when it comes to Liverpool's recruitment, Pete. Do you think they've done enough to warrant a title challenge? We know how good they are 1-11 to in that starting eleven, But we've discussed Manchester City's depth. We'll come on to Chelsea and their depth in a second. Do you think Liverpool have enough to warrant a title challenge again? I think it's been a, it's a surprisingly quiet transfer window from Liverpool, I must say. Um, Gini Wijnaldum was a big player for Liverpool. Um and often, often goes unheralded, really, because of the star names around him. But he had an excellent impact on that club. Uh, he was very well liked in the dressing room, and he was a big part of the team. And they haven't, and they've lost him, and they haven't replaced him. Um, t- the onus is on Thiago to step up this season after what well, was a, by and large, a disappointing first season in, in England. But sometimes you need that year to bed in, so he could come back after a, a you know a full preseason. Um, well, after the Euros, he, he can. Um, he can have, um, he can feel more settled in the team. But I don't, I don't, th- I think when you look at how the others, I think what you have to do with, uh, with Liverpool is you have to look at how the others have strengthened, and you look at you look at the players that Chelsea have brought in. You look at City bringing Grealish in, United spending big on Jadon Sancho and a much needed centre back, um, and then you look at Liverpool. Yes, they needed the centre back. Oh, that was well, that was glaringly obvious. But um, they needed some strength and depth elsewhere on the pitch. Um, you look at that, the you know the, the 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 Fab Three up top, and last season each one of them had long spells where they were out of form, um, and I think that comes with the lack of competition. You know, Div, Divock Origi for the yeah he has, he has scored plenty of 
Uh, he, he did score plenty of key goals to Liverpool, but he never gave them the competition for a starting place. So I think that and I think they needed some competition. They were a little unlucky with Jota's injuries, but I just think in a, in attack, maybe in sort of a bit deeper in attacking midfield, you just needed some somebody to like freshen things up to even to give the others in there a bit of a jolt. And to, you know, your your place in the first team isn't always guaranteed. And I know it's difficult after a pandemic. We don't know what it's done to the finances of clubs, and um, we've you know we've seen other clubs struggling as well in the transfer market. But I just think one other player in attacking midfield or maybe in wide areas, just someone just to freshen things up really, really is an opportunity miss for Liverpool. And they could fall behind considering the strength and the, the, the ability of the coaches that are elsewhere, you, you know, the two calls and the Guardiolas and the, the squads that they're assembling. And I think Liverpool potentially could could not drop out the top four, but you know could be in for a, a battle to, to, sneak, to get into the top four this season again. It will certainly be some effort for them to win the Premier League this season. Like you say, teams around them have strengthened. The same can't quite be said for Norwich, who ironically faced Liverpool in their opening game of the season, much like they did two campaigns ago. And for the Canaries, sadly for them, their campaign seemed to peak the last time they were in the top flight, around September, where they beat Manchester City. But at the time, they had the likes of Bendia and Godfrey. They don't have those players anymore Michelle how do you think they'll fare this time around can they survive this time I think what people that don't watch the championship might not know is yeah it's not an impossibility because they've had a very different season the last season so they finished with 97 points which was three more than the last time they came up but they scored 18 fewer goals and What's important about this next bit is they conceded fewer. So they, they decided to sort of play a little bit differently. And a lot of Norwich's success last season was built on a solid defence, a deeper defensive line. So they're a bit rock and roll football in some ways the first time they came up in the Championship. And they just couldn't, they didn't have the quality to carry it on in the Premier League. So I think Emmy Bondier missing is massive, absolutely massive. And, and as a Villa fan, I'm delighted we've signed him. Um, but they've they've made some interesting signings. Um, they I think Angus Gunn has signed, hasn't he? Which is an interesting one. Um, there's a there's a few signings that I'm not too familiar with that I'm looking forward to seeing play. But they're gonna have to they're gonna have to just be defensively solid. I think you know um, Billy Gilmore. I think is an exciting signing as well. So yeah, I think they're a different side to when they came up a couple of years ago and. It's just, it's a big ask, isn't it? It's a big ask to make that step. And they yo-yo so much. You know, I know West Brom have that tag, but so to Norwich City. So, yeah, I, I, Todd Campbell as well. If they can keep hold of him, mm-hmm. that'll be key. Yeah, certainly. Well, Norwich play Liverpool Saturday, 5.30 at Carrow Road. Talking of the changes in sides, Chelsea have brought back Romelu Lukaku to the club. After they already had him 10 years ago in 2011, he was there until 2014, couldn't really dislodge Diego Costa or Didier Drogba out of the side, and so he went out on loan to West Brom and then to Everton, scored loads of goals. He's now back at Stamford Bridge, £97 million later. The Blues take on Crystal Palace in their season opener Saturday at 3 o'clock. We talk about new signings giving teams a boost and perhaps a change of makeup. How much of a boost does that give Chelsea's title credentials, Pete, now that they've brought in Romelu Lukaku? Are they serious contenders this season? Do you think the scales have tipped 
even more towards Chelsea now that they've brought Lukaku in as opposed to before that happened? It's a huge sign in this and I, I think it gives Chelsea the edge. I think Chelsea will win it because of this signing. Um, I covered a lot of Italian football last season, so I got to lot I got to see Lukaku quite a lot. And it's forget what you forget the Lukaku that sort of you know was was trampoline foot. Yeah, Lukaku. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the, yeah. That that first touch that he used to get a lot of stick for in, in his United days. Um, Has and, he completely changed his game? Then, oh Pete? yeah, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, he he's mm. he's he he drops deep a lot more, and he makes a lot more assists. Um, I think I think he finished third or fourth in the assist um, table in uh, in uh, Serie A last season, and he's there's a lot more to his game now than just sort of that bulldozing striker that that um, that scored plenty of goals for Everton and and and, and United, um, but didn't really offer that much much else. Um, and you, I think you need you need that now. Strikers aren't what the you know the old fashioned number nines like they used to be. You need to be able to, especially in teams as tr- like as transitional as, as as Chelsea and under Tuchel like and a pep team as well um you need to you need to be able to drop deep get involved in the play and have more ability on the ball and have more vision and and it, it, and Lukaku built that um at Inter and it's forget what you saw uh, before of Lukaku in the Premier League this is a very very different footballer and there's a reason why Chelsea have spent that much money on bringing him back and I really think because you looked at Chelsea last year, you know as as Tuchel Took over, and they were they were near perfect, apart from in the in the at the very end of a move, Timo 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 Werner couldn't stay on side, or he was he, he just his confidence was 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 lacking, and he was just he was missing so many chances. And I, I still I, I still actually think Timo Werner will be a great sign, and I think mm. maybe even a wide area alongside Lukaku, I think might yeah. be, might be better for him. Um, I was going to say, do you think that will bring the best out of both players? Because obviously with Inter, Lukaku had Lataro Martinez as almost a strike partner. And Timo Werner has got pace and, you know, the ability to get balls in from Havertz out wide as well. I just think that Chelsea, in terms of having bases covered, bringing Lukaku in, is certainly giving them a more rounded attack. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that it will, I think it will actually bring out more in, in Timo Werner as well, because um, he's, he's a lot about his electric pace. He's got a fantastic, he's a fantastic finisher, but he's very skillful. He's a very clever footballer, and you kind of need to be operating in those wider areas where you've got a little bit more space if you're a Timo Werner. Um, whereas, and Lukaku can drop deep, open up those spaces for Havertz and, and Werner. And oh, Chelsea have got such an embarrassment of riches of players that can break ahead of a ahead of a striker. And I think Lukaku complements the strike force really well. And I, I think. It'll be, I think it'll be a fascinating tussle between two two unbelievable squads. I think, I think Man United, I think will 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 be on the periphery as well. But I just think Chelsea and Man City's squads, is, and the key word there is squad, is unbelievable. The strength and depth that both of them have got, um, and I think that may give them the edge till the end of the season. And I think the Lukaku signing, I, I'm I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I think. I think he'll be. It's a great addition that can really be the the cherry on the icing of the cake for Chelsea. And I've said this on the podcast so many times over the last two weeks that this transfer has been in the offing. Lukaku with a point to prove coming back to the Premier League is a mm. scary prospect. Yeah. Not only a point to prove at Chelsea because he wasn't really given a chance there, just ten Premier League games and didn't score a goal, of which he's got over a hundred in the Premier League, by the way. Yeah. But also proving to Manchester United 
where he did get a little bit of stick. And I think it was the right decision for him to leave Manchester United at the time. Mm -hmm. I think it didn't work for all parties, but for him to come back now with a a bit of a point to prove, and I don't want to say a chip on the shoulder, but certainly that desire and fire in the belly to show exactly what he's all about, I think that can only bode well for Chelsea. So that's Chelsea, which, you know, they're looking like they could well be Premier League title contenders this season. But it feels like a little bit of a step into the unknown for their opponents on Saturday, Crystal Palace, where the Patrick Vieira chapter begins at Selhurst Park. What do you make of this, Michelle, in terms of a managerial appointment? Because as I say, I feel from the outside looking in, this is a little bit of an unknown quantity for me. Do you think there'll be a little bit of anxiety amongst Palace fans after the Frank de Boer era where they tried to change it up, bring in someone different and that completely backfired on them? Oh, yeah. It was a bit of a bolt out of the blue, wasn't it? Um, When this was unveiled, a big summer change at Palace. Um, I don't know if, if... Palace fans are looking forward to it or, or bracing themselves. Would that be a better word? Um, I thought Roy Hodgson <laughs> did did well, you know, last season. Um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting because you think of Patrick Vieira as a player, you know, the influence he could have on midfielders, what he could do, you know, with, with someone like um, Milivojevic and, and James McCarthy. You know, he's got some decent players. At his disposal, um, signing of Conor Gallagher on loan from Chelsea. He's a brilliant player. I saw him a lot at Swansea. Michael Elise from Reading, really great player as well. So they've brought in a couple of really exciting young players on loan. Um, and by the way, Gallagher was meant to move to Palace last summer, but they went for, I think they went for Batshuayi in, instead. So that's one that's been in the offering for a little while. So it's, it's whether he can just connect to those players I suppose I can't I don't know what sort of manager he's going to be um, how he can get the best out of Wilfred Zaha whether he can get Christian Benteke firing there's just so many questions because I actually think Palace are quite an exciting team um, unfortunately mm. I think Eze's out for quite a while isn't he? he's out for a few months yeah Achilles and new boy Michael Elisa I think won't play this game against okay. Chelsea either yeah so, so yeah but Eze I think is a, is a longer term one so yeah, yeah, I think Benteke, had, he didn't do a lot for, for Belgium in the Euros. I think he came on as a sub and that was it. So he's got his work out, Vieira. Um, and I think the great thing for Palace is, is to be back at Selhurst Park again, right on top of the pitch, massive atmosphere. They've mm. just got to use that and, and, and get behind Vieira and try and get, get the best out of their team. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how Patrick Vieira does. Does have top flight experience managing in Ligue 1 in France with Nice. And also had a stint as the manager of New York City. I think was assistant at Manchester City for a bit as well. So in terms of coaching quality and credentials, there is certainly a little bit there on the CV. But this is a totally different affair, isn't it? Coming straight into a Premier League club and, and seeing how you do. Crystal Palace travel from South London to West. They play Chelsea Saturday 3 o'clock. Meanwhile, in the East Midlands at the same time, Leicester welcome Wolves to King Power Stadium. 3 o'clock kickoff also. Two seasons in a row now, Michelle, Leicester have finished fifth. Do you think they can break that streak and finish in the top four this time around because they've been dead close in previous seasons? Or do you think that window of opportunity might have passed them by with the likes of Chelsea and Liverpool and Manchester City and United looking so strong? I think with Leicester, that must be so painful. If you consider how long they spent in the top four in those seasons and then to miss out again, um, in the closing stages, it's it's just taking that next step, isn't it? Um, I think they they've been hit unfortunately by 
injuries at bad times. Um, but let's not forget they beat that they beat Man City last week and they won the FA Cup as well um, against Chelsea. So we know they can do it. It's just taking that next step. And Brendan Rodgers has that tag on him sometimes as the nearly man, which is, I always think that's insane because he, I think he used to like drive forklift trucks in Waitrose. I, I, I read that. And then I know he worked his way up at Reading and, you know, what an amazing career he's made out of nothing. And he, feel, he feels a really good match for Leicester. Um, yeah, it's just taking that next step, isn't it? But the FA Cup was huge for them. Absolutely huge. Um, so, yeah, there's some, some, some interesting talents as well. You know, let's not forget James Madison. We don't know what's happening with him. Harvey Barnes, I think, is a brilliant player. Looking forward to seeing him this season. I just don't know if the others are going to be too good for them, um, if I'm honest. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I mean, Leicester have got a few issues at centre-back as well at the moment with Fafana being out with a fractured leg. And Johnny Evans also probably missing until after the first international break of the season. So you might even see Wilfred and Didi shifted back into the defensive line if Yannick Vestergaard isn't announced by then, who looks almost nailed on to sign for Leicester City at the time of recording the show. Their opponents are Wolves, who also start a new era, Pete. They start life under Bruno Large after Nuno Espirito Santo's departure. He's gone to Tottenham, of course. A fresh start for them. They finished seventh in their first two seasons back in the top flight. A 13th placed finish last season. But a new era for them, much like Crystal Palace. Are there reasons to be excited for Wolves fans, do you think? Yes, but I think what, what, what Wolves fans will be hoping for most is that this is essentially just Nuno Mark two. You're just hoping for more of the same. Um, the, the, the chairman has been keen to point out that trust the process um, yes, the manager is, is 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 unknown in these parts, but he's not a manager that they've that they've hired uh, on a whim. Um, he's a, he's a manager that they've they've been looking at for a while. Um, they've done the research that they they know the type of manager that they want. A bit like Brentford in a way, in the fact that they they know the they know the sort of football that they want to play. Um, and I, I, sp- I spoke to uh, I spoke to a Wolves uh, colleague of mine recently, and he was saying. He doesn't see it going other. He'll either go really, really well, or and or be or go awfully, and 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 Wolves could you know go down essentially. Um, he doesn't so he doesn't see it as sort of finishing you know thirteen, twelve, thirteenth, and being on the beach in March kind of thing. It's just very much a, a little bit apprehensive, but wants to see a bit more. I think what I can gather from the Wolves fans is that they want to see. A, Towards the end of Nuno's reign, the football became a bit stale. Yeah, um, I think the reason for uh, a change of manager was they weren't happy, the ownership, with the direction the club was going in. And I think that yeah. you can read a little bit into that in terms of the style on the pitch. Yeah, I think I think it had just it had run its course. Stale. I think Nuno had yeah, he just, he, Nuno had done what he could. He'd done a fantastic job. Him, he was he was obviously not necessarily Spurs, but contemplating a move elsewhere. And when that when that's the case, that you know, when if all you have to take is five percent out of the intensity of of a, of a manager, and 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 it and it, I think it rubs off on the players very easily. You can see it, they'll be able to tell in training, mm. um, 
and how much effort because he, he was Nuno's known for the his meticulous preparation and how much he puts into his preparation for games and if you can see that he's not putting as much into it the players are going to think well maybe I'll take five you know five percent off my game as well so I think it had run its course it was time for a change um, but I think Wolves fans will be hoping not too much change because we, we know we, we've seen in the past that um, you know, long-serving managers have gone, a new exciting manager has come in and it's gone disastrously wrong. And I think that's the biggest worry for them. New era at Wolves as well. New manager, I think a former Swansea assistant boss as well in Bruno Large. They travelled to King Power Stadium Saturday, three o'clock. Still three more Premier League games to talk about. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the show. I'm Niall. Alongside me, Michelle Owen and Pete Hall and still three top flight fixtures to run the rule over. And we'll start in the northeast where Newcastle United welcome West Ham United to St. James's Park. This is the Sunday 2pm kickoff this weekend. In terms of Newcastle's aspirations, it feels like it's the same every season whilst Mike Ashley's in charge. Michelle, he just wants the tune to stay up and more so than not this season. So the Saudi takeover is still feasible because if Newcastle go down, the Saudis probably aren't going to be as interested. It's as simple as that in my mind. I wonder what your take is. Oh, I just think Steve Bruce has done a really good job at, at keeping, you know, a fairly limited squad in the Premier League. Um, everyone sort of laments what Rafa Benitez did there and and you look what Bruce is doing. And if that is his task, it's not exactly inspiring, is it? Um, and yeah, the Premier League's blocking that £300 million Saudi-led takeover. Whether whether it goes through or not, whether they stay up or not, it's just not it's just not nice. Like I, as a Newcastle fan, I know how passionate they are. Like it must it must be awful. But the good news for them is it's going to be a full St James's Park, and we know that's special. Yeah, and they will have missed their club as much as any other. And like you say, they get behind their team as good as any side in the Premier League. In terms of West Ham. They've also got some strange takeover talks going on in the background, but we'll leave them to one side for the moment, Pete. Do you think in terms of how they did last season, being the dark horses, the surprise package, there'll be plenty of positivity and plenty of expectations in East London that they can do something similar again this season. However, they are now a Europa League side, so how do you think that that European campaign will affect them domestically this season, or will it at all? I think so. I I don't think it can't really. Um... They haven't. They have again. The the pandemic has has affected clubs like West Ham, and they've not been able to strengthen too much in the window. They'd be disappointed not to be able to sign Jesse Lingard on a permanent deal. That's a that's a bit of a blow for them, considering how how well he did for them. And um, and you're right to point the fact that expectations will be raised. Uh, fans will expect, you know, fans up and down the country expect more of the same, if not more. They're not gonna, they're not going to settle for less either than last season and and. When you throw in that you know you're having to travel to all corners of Europe on a on a Thursday night, we've seen many a team in the past have adverse effects on the on the domestic form. Um, I think for for, for a West Ham point of fans, just and it, it just annoys me when teams don't put enough into the the Europa League campaigns. You know, you battle all season to get there, and then you get there and you play, make ten changes on a Thursday night. It's just enjoy it, em, 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 embrace it, have a go. Um, if if it means that West if it means that West Ham finish slightly lower in the league, then so be it. If they get a good 
you know European adventure isn't that isn't that what it's all about just just have a have a have a go it really it as you can see by me ranting about it it really does annoy me that you know you bat you battle all season to finish uh, in a in a league position or you know or, or get far in a cup to get there then you get there and you oh I'm resting you rest your key players for Leicester at the weekend just I think fo- actually focus on the on the Europa League and how, you know, you'll still still they're not gonna, they're not going to you know famous last words but I don't think they're going to be embroiled in a relegation battle so um, just yeah have a go and, and embrace it and and it it might have some adverse effects on certain fixtures but over the course of the season they, they still should be fine so yeah embrace the european adventure i feel similar about the race for the top 4 yeah. in the premier league i think it's a very english thing i mean i don't know because i don't live in spain or germany or france and i don't know the discourse around those leagues but it feels like we're obsessed with getting into the top 4 mm. and finishing fourth and I used to feel the same about Arsenal. Remember that period where they just moved to the Emirates and Arsene Wenger did really well on it with the team he had to get them to finish fourth more often than not. But I couldn't see the point because they would finish fourth and get into the Champions League and then be knocked out in the group stages or the last 16. And it just seems like you're back to where you were before. So I can certainly see the, the, the theory around that. But Newcastle play West Ham Sunday, 2 o'clock. Saturday, 3 o'clock, another traditional kickoff time. This one is Watford against Aston Villa. Watford back in the big time. Much like we said about Norwich City, Pete, do you think that they've got the quality to survive the Hornets or will it be a struggle for them again? I think it'll be a struggle for them um... They've made another team that have made interesting sort of left field signings. They've had to be a bit more creative in the in the in the in the transfer market. Um, lots lots of lots of players that people haven't seen at Premier League level. Uh, um, Dennis Emmanuel from Club Bruges is an interesting signing. I I, I saw him yes. against, against United in the um, um, in the Europa, Europa, League. Europa League. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah in the Europa League um, and. He's he's he was very highly rated, but he's he's a very eccentric character who's who's uh, who's, who's famed for throwing his toys out the prams in in of many a pram in spectacular fashion. So expect some fireworks from him. He's got the ability. It's whether he'll uh, do it week in week out. Um, and I think there's a few signers like that at Watford. And um, I think it'll be interesting to see the the manager's an unknown entity in the Premier League. Um, by all intents and purposes, from what I can gather from colleagues, is again an eccentric, a colourful character. So I think there'll be an interesting, interesting proposition this season. Um, I don't know why; it's just a hunch that I have. I, I think they'll be, I think they'll be fine. I think that, I think they'll sort of, um, they'll carry on from the momentum from last season, and I think they'll, I think they'll just about have enough to stay up. Mm, that's how I feel about Brentford, strangely enough, rather than Watford. Mm. Their opponents are Aston Villa on Saturday, so. Who better to ask than Michelle Owen about Aston Villa's potential this season? You've lost Grealish, which we've already discussed, Michelle, but you have gained Emmy Buendia, Danny Ings and Leon Bailey, who's arrived from Bayer Leverkusen. So what's the mood like amongst the fan base? Is there general positivity? Is it split 50-50? How are Villa fans feeling about the season ahead? No, it's general positivity from what I've seen. I think it's been a really exciting summer, like you've just said. Some of the signings that Villa have made so far have been fantastic reinvesting that Grealish money even before he was definitely going. I think the mood is one of optimism, one of excitement, interesting changes behind the scenes. John John Terry's gone. Um, Also, Richard O'Kelly left this week, which was quite interesting. Bought in a set piece coach, which is is one where where Aston Villa feel like they can improve. Um, And it's just those fine margins, isn't it? I think it's a talented squad. I really do. I think um, Ings and Watkins could be 
Really interesting up front. Depends how he plays them though, because they both like to play through the middle, although Watkins can come wide, but I think it's better through the middle. Young players like Jacob Ramsey, really exciting. John McGinn, I think he's getting better. And that back four of Target, Mings, Conter and Cash, one of the back, best back fours in the Premier League last season. And having brought in Axel Twanzebe on loan as well, he's going to be competing for those spots as well. It's a mood of real optimism and one that wants to get to Europe. Uh, maybe that seventh spot. Yeah, I think that fight for European football is going to be quite interesting, particularly for those Europa League spots in terms of who picks them up come the end of the season with lots of teams targeting those positions. Final game we're going to discuss another 3pm Saturday kickoff, Burnley against Brighton at Turf Moor. This is their sixth season in a row now in the Premier League, Burnley, but they've been inching closer to the drop zone each time. 17th last season is the lowest they've placed since their return to the Premier League. Do you think we can expect similar things from them this term to what we always expect, Pete? Are we going to see the same old Burnley or is it going to be something slightly different? I just Every time I see a Sean Dyche press conference, I always feel really sorry for him because... Cause He's never been given anything like the the, the, the transfer budget that he that, that is acceptable, really, in the Premier League. He's never. <laughs> it feels like deja vu, doesn't it? He's yeah. always saying the same thing. Need some players. Yeah. He's always <laughs> <laughs> always, always the impression. I don't know. You have to you have to start every Sean Dice impression with a with a growl, don't you? But he, he's, he always he always yeah he always says that he always says yes we need we're looking at signing players and yes we're. We need to sign some players before the end of the window, and then they never sign anyone. I mean, look, what, what if they what if they brought in Wayne, Wayne Hennessy? I think that's it, isn't it? At, at, like this this transfer window on, on a free. I mean, it was already a wafer thin squad, and to and to not bring in player, you just assumed. I think every summer, I think I've just assumed that um, you know, with they've got new owners in now, you think. Oh yeah, well, he'll, he'll, finally he'll get some money. He'll get the money that he that he deserves because he's been there for so long, seemingly waiting for a transfer budget, and then you, you never sign anyone. And um, this is, is is it not? Is this the year that they is this the year that they they drop out? I mean, you look at every season, you look at their squad, and you think they're going to struggle. And Sean Dyche performs miracles, you know, year in year out. I think I, I fear for them this year because just because. They haven't they haven't strengthened for three three years really in 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 a lot of areas of the pitch that they've needed to, and there's only so much Sean Dyche can do, isn't there? Uh, really, I mean, I mean he he's surely his motivation. We were talking about Nuno before and his motivation. Surely Sean Dyche's motivation must must be dropping now, given that he, he's just banging his head against the wall. Like he's not asking for a lot of money, just. I mean, they don't even sign players on a free or a loan because, like, you know, is, is the is the wage budget there for them? I, I don't know. It's it's just it's such a it's such a tough one for him. I feel like if they lose Dwight McNeil as well at any point, they're in yeah. even more trouble. But yeah, they seem to be inching closer. Brighton also, Michelle, weren't far from the relegation zone last season. Their problem, as stupid as it sounds, last term was scoring goals and conceding goals, which is pretty much the key to, to being a successful football team. I think we had a saying that between both boxes, they're a very good team, but actually finishing and defending was an issue of theirs. It's an issue that Graham Potter is going to have to solve, isn't he? Because if he doesn't, things could look dicey for them as well. Yeah, but I had a look into this defensive thing and only five teams kept more clean sheets than than Brighton. They kept 12. So 
it's a bit of a weird one because they might have been on the end of some heavy defeats, but actually that was, I thought was quite a surprising stat about Brighton um, when we look back on last season. Yeah, I, I mean, Ben White, massive, massive loss for them. Um, and they haven't lit up the transfer market yet. Uh, Graham Potty, just, I, I, I got to know him at Swansea and I love the way he wants to play football out from the back. And has he got the, has he got the manpower to do that? I guess is the question. Has he got the quality to do it? Um, just be interested to see if they can improve on last season. I mean, 15th, 17th, 15th, 16th is where they've been the last four seasons since they returned to the Premier League. I'd expect them to be there or thereabouts again. Uh, depends if they can just do a little bit more business um, in, the, in the next couple of weeks, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they get on this year because it feels like in terms of through the middle, they need a little bit more than Mope and Welbeck and Connolly. Um, I think they have brought in uh, Mwepu in the middle of the park from Red Bull Salzburg and they've got obviously Yves Basuma who caught the eye last season but again I just feel that they need someone who is an established goal scorer just to be able to to take them to that next level and stop them flirting with relegation. Anyway they take on Burnley Saturday three o'clock and with that that's our nine weekend fixtures done and dusted. The season is back looking forward to how they pan out. Thanks very much Michelle. Thank you Pete for your company as always here on Football Social Daily. Don't forget we'll be back again tomorrow with a full rundown of all the results in the top flight with Fergal Brennan so make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that. But for today's Football Social Daily that's it and we'll catch you again tomorrow football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.